0: Welcome to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship with your host, Claudia Pauls.
1: Hello and welcome once again to I'm Not In An Abusive Relationship. Today we're going to be talking with Krista DeBoer, who is the sexual assault therapist for DASIS, and welcome to the program. Um, Let's let's start just a little bit uh, with a little information about yourself and let our listeners know who you are and what you're doing.
2: So my name is Krista and I am the Sexual Assault Therapist with DASIS, um, which is a job that I love. I love getting to um, meet with clients and sit with them and help them process whatever they're going to process with me. Um, It's one of the great joys that I have that gets me up and going each morning.
1: Wow. Kind of getting to watch them from maybe their lowest spot to becoming a survivor and figuring things out going forward. Yes. How did you get into this kind of work?
2: I think that many of us that come to the helping profession in general come with a story, a narrative, um, some experience that has um, probably caused some pain, some suffering. Mm -hmm. And I think when we've worked through that, it gives us um, more insight and wisdom to help people that are maybe going through some similar things maybe some different things but to have that common understanding and I don't think I'm any different from that Um, and I think what really drives me is because I've experienced hope and healing that that's something that then I want other people to be able to experience too.
1: right having walked that walk for lack of a better term yourself being able to help people along the way.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's what motivates me um, is to see that hope and healing because after you've processed and after you um, are able to bring meaning and purpose and finding yourself, I think that's the healing process. And I think you find freedom when there, the worries and the doubts and the fears and the hurt and the pain all come together. And you can say yes this was difficult but i've been able to find this meaning and this purpose for my life and i think that's ultimately freedom
1: oh that sounds amazing right
2: and i think we can get there i think that people we might not be able to experience fully on this earth but i think people can experience a taste of that Mm -hmm. Um, and i think that sometimes that taste is enough to be transformational transformation
1: is what we're kind of looking for too with hope and healing and those are two words that we use often on this podcast do you work with with groups, with individuals, and obviously with DASIS? So I'm not sure how, how you came to be with DASIS.
2: So uh, when I was in my master's program, um, I was doing a trauma across the lifespan um, specialization. And as part of that, um, I needed to do what we call trauma-informed work. And so I needed internships um, where I could kind of experience some of that. And so my first internship was actually with DASIS. Mm -hmm. Um, So I was working with an advocate. Um, I was working with our Director of Advocacy Services. And so I basically just followed that advocate around everywhere she went. So it was doing helping with groups, um, going on home visits, going on the emergency responses, um, basically anything that she was a part of, going to Mm -hmm. meetings, anything like that. And then Deb, who's the Director of Advocacy Services, was one of my supervisors, and so she just uh, mentored me and helped pour into me, and so it was a wonderful experience, and that was how I first um, got to know DASIS.
1: We've been pretty lucky with uh, being able to grow our staff by people knowing about us and, and having some internship opportunities. Several of our staff members have started as interns with DASIS, so that's... That's kind of a really nice thing that um, interns obviously look at what DASIS is doing and how they're helping people and want to come back, which I think says a lot for DASIS. So I'm so glad that you did that as well. (laughs) Yeah, it was wonderful. It was a
2: wonderful experience.
1: Great. Good. Um, So let's talk a little bit then, like, when you meet a client. I don't know how much you can, can talk about when you meet a client, how you're able to to help them, listen to them, lead them forward from where they are?
2: Yeah, I think that for me being a therapist is really a sacred space. So when people come to me, and often it's um, with a lot of hurt and pain Mm -hmm. and um, trying to find understanding and meaning and belonging, I think a lot of times. Um, And the way that I kind of describe it is because of Experiences and often um, traumatic, or um, ones that caused us a lot of pain,
1: and we, ones that the victim probably didn't cause themselves. Right, I mean, that were right perpetrated or or mm-hmm. happened to them rather than they created.
2: And I think <clears throat> what often happens um, as a way of protection that a wall goes up, and that wall is serving a purpose. I'm not going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. nothing bad can happen to me i'm safe and the the one thing about that that is unhelpful is that when you have a cement wall that means nothing can get through right so you also miss opportunities you miss the good things and part of for me that process then becomes sometimes we have to examine that wall And when we pull out brick by brick, what we find is some of those bricks have cracks. So we can just go in and fill them with, um, whether it's skills or techniques or um, processing, whatever it might be, we get to fill those in. Sometimes if we pull it out, it's completely broken and we can't, we have to throw it out and create a new one. Sometimes it's, we just pull it out and we just dust it off a little bit and we can put it back in the way it is. And that's all that they needed in that moment. And then when the wall is reconstructed, then it allows for things like um, people that might not be healthy. So it does protect from that. Mm -hmm. Um, It helps us recognize warning signs, whatever that might be. So whether I'm in danger, whether I need to leave the situation, whatever it might be. We can do that because that wall is there for protection. But it's not such a solid wall that nothing is getting through anymore. It's allowing the good. It's allowing the opportunity, allowing chance and risk.
1: I like the way you've described that or set that up because perhaps someone who's listening who's beginning to realize that they may be in an abusive relationship and they have built those walls and that fear of, of reaching out or going for help, that they may lose everything they've already managed to put together. And just listening to you describe what a therapy session might be like is um, I would think heartening for for people who are listening to this. You don't have to give everything up just to, it's a step at a time. Mm -hmm.
2: Yeah, and it's a safe space. I really try to work hard to create that because I understand what it's like to come into therapy and have to share your business. And it's kind of the opposite of what the world tells us. Mm -hmm. The world tells us to be strong. It tells us to have our guard up all the time. It tells us the world isn't safe. And the opposite of therapy then becomes openness, honesty, and vulnerability. And that vulnerability piece can feel like I'm exposed and I'm bare. And that can be scary. That's scary for anybody. Mm -hmm. And I think... When you, I know that I know that that fear, but if we can do that, that's when the work is able to happen, and I hold that with the greatest respect and sacredness, because you're sharing a part of your life that is probably really difficult to share with anybody, and sometimes it's things they haven't told other people before.
1: Oh, I'm sure I'm sure you hear a lot of things that people are telling for the first time.
2: So I hold that. I hold that space, and I respect that. And I think that survivors are so brave and courageous when they step through my office because that's really the first step, and it can be very scary. So I understand that, and that's why I hold it so sacredly.
1: And how how would you do all of your clients? I don't know if we even call them clients. Do they come through DASIS, or um, how, how do you begin to work with people?
2: So usually... Um, they kind of happen naturally within our organization so we have advocates that um, are doing the work as well and so they're usually uh, first point of contact and then from there they usually get referred to therapy Um, sometimes it's community partners that are aware of situations and will refer um, for therapy also so it just depends on the circumstance Mm
1: -hmm. and that using those terms maybe we could describe the I don't know if we can describe those for our listener the difference between an advocate and a therapist um, who would people see first should they begin to reach out for help
2: yeah I think that um, any entry point we do have the 24-hour crisis line so that's always going to be available to anybody at any time Um, I think that then um, advocate the advocacy role um, at least from my understanding, is kind of like a case manager. So they um, will help with resources. They do the individual supportive counseling. Um, They just kind of help walk alongside that journey. Um, And then the therapy part then is a little bit more the the clinical work is what the word we would use for that. And it just is a little bit different because we are able to go a little bit deeper um, and do some of the processing that um, maybe the advocates wouldn't be able to do with other things that they're doing. Um, So it's really just that focus
1: So advocates, I mean, could you kind of compare it? They're almost like the first responders. We've got to get this situation under control. We have to help you make sure that you're safe, that you're, if there are children involved or whatever, that everyone is safe and you're going to then be able to move forward. And then the therapy would come in as to further treatment, almost like, you know, beyond First responder kind of thing. So yeah,
2: and um, we have a great partnership with our advocates. Our advocates are all really phenomenal, and um, I love working with them because they get to do some of the work that um, I'm not able to. And and so it just we I think we balance each other out really well and mm-hmm. work together as a team. Mm-hmm. Great.
1: So how many? How like is there an average number of of sessions, or do people then also do you mix individual therapy sessions, group sessions? I mean, I. How would that go forward with someone?
2: Yeah, it really depends on the person. So sometimes um, it can be three months, sometimes it's six months, sometimes it's a year, could be even longer than a year. It just depends on how much they would like to unpack with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes it just depends on their situation and sometimes it just takes some time. Um, It really depends on the person, um, which is really nice because I get to focus on the person. And, and where they're at and stay with them. Um, so, yeah, there's no real set. We don't have a limit on therapy sessions. It just is really dependent on the person. And being able to
1: recover and move forward from sexual assault is probably, I would think, the most difficult um, emotional, emotional problem. I don't know how to to phrase that. has to be the most difficult because of everything else involved. And and I don't know if you then help navigate if they're dealing with um, law enforcement, if they're still dealing with the perpetrator, how all of those things get intermingled, which I'm sure they do.
2: Yeah, it's... I think a lot of it is walking with them in that process, so with law enforcement, with courts, with anything else that happens, um, I think that being able to sit with them in that is is a unique role um, that DASIS has. So if someone needed to go to court, I would Mm -hmm. be able to go to court with them. Um, I think sexual assault is one of those things that happens. Um, that as a society, we're not really prepared for. We get trained at a very young age for a fire. We have firemen that come into the classroom, and they teach us all about mm-hmm. stop, drop, and roll. And we, I mean, I'm 36, and I still remember stop, drop, and roll. Oh, sure. Because that's what's been ingrained in me. Right. When sexual assault happens, we don't have the same kind of response. So it can be super overwhelming. It can be confusing. It can be, I don't I just had this thing happen to me and, and I'm trying to navigate all these different systems. So part of it is just helping them in that process. This is the next step, this is the next step, this is the next step. You're not gonna do it alone. We have um, our advocates, we have um, you know, therapists. So we're gonna be alongside you and we're gonna work together with you. So if you want your advocate and the therapist to come with you to court, we're gonna do that. That is a
1: huge benefit, I would think. Just just knowing you don't have to do it by yourself. And also knowing that people believe you. That's that's another part of that sexual assault healing is that you don't always get believed the first time you tell somebody or the first time you're reaching out for help. And to have someone that's really on your side and knows what you're talking about and believes what you're telling them mm-hmm. has to be a huge benefit. And a giant step in healing, too, I would think.
2: Yeah, Um, I think a lot or sometimes I won't say all the time sometimes because we're not trained as a society um, people aren't able to respond for various reasons Um, and and to believe to be believed and I think that to be able to come to a safe person and to be allowed to just feel what you're feeling To say, as a therapist, I believe you. Mm -hmm. I don't get to be a part of your family. I don't get to be a part of anything, anything outside of it. But to be here and to say, I believe you. And I'm going to sit with you for however long it takes. You are not going to do this alone. That's huge that's absolutely the first step in healing
1: well and and also you were saying you know society is trained to to help or react in certain ways and part of that and maybe this is just my take on it I don't know but part of that you know fires happen you know but sexual assault shouldn't and crime shouldn't happen those those aren't things that really you say well you know, I think this is possibly something that could happen in my future and that would be a sad state of affairs to think, you know, well, we need to prepare every student. But but truly, I was reading an article in the USA Today about college campuses and mm-hmm. how rampant sexual assault yep. can be and how dangerous, they say, from August to November with people away from home for the first time and and all kinds of things going on. And now so many campuses are truly addressing, you know, this should never happen, but it is something that does happen on campuses and things like that. So maybe our podcast is going to help people realize that, no, it should not happen. But yeah. it it's does never and acceptable. needs to be addressed.
2: Yeah, it's never acceptable. I think that, unfortunately, um, it takes really big events like the Larry Nasser scandal the usa gymnastics Mm -hmm. scandal um i think even human trafficking busts that we hear about right it takes those events that are so awful that prompt action and sexual assault is one of those things that we don't want to believe happens i think it's much easier to ignore it Mm -hmm. there's a lot of reasons for that but um so it's not that easy topic well once you
1: believe the person everything is different everything is different your, everything your changes. status quo is not what it was anymore that person that you didn't know this about now you do and the perpetrator I mean that's a, a entirely changed relationship yeah so scary. those are hard
2: to do absolutely Yeah, change is always hard. Change is always scary. The unknown, I think that's a lot of it too. I don't know what's going to happen now. And I think that's the hardest part for me as a therapist is I can't tell clients, I can't tell people, this is what's going to happen because I can't say that. I don't know that. Um, And to have to be, I'm I'm with you and I understand and I get it. I can't tell you that it's going to go the way that we want it to Mm -hmm. or the way that we think it should be. But just the chance to not have to keep that secret anymore
1: and to have the opportunity that everything could get better that's huge yeah so therapy is definitely a wonderful gift that dasis is able to to lead people to to help people reach Mm -hmm. out for and absolutely to be there when they do Mm -hmm. amazing
2: and it gives me a chance to do a job that i love
1: you know, it's more, it's almost like it is a calling rather than a job. It's, um, I tell students, I work with students trying to find careers that they love to meet people who wake up every morning and the first thing they think is, I get to go to work today, not I have to go to work today. Yeah, it is, changes is it. a gift. Uh-huh. Yep. And I am sure it is in- amazingly rewarding for you
2: to watch people grow and change and, and become who they can be. Yeah. And my favorite part of the entire process is when it was two things one when they're able to anticipate my questions which means they're able to really do the therapy themselves they can hear your voice in their head or becoming their own voice in their head right right? because they don't and that's the second part they don't need me anymore because they're able to anticipate the questions they're able to recognize the feelings they're able to recognize their thoughts and, um, and to do that on their own. And if that happens, I have done my job correctly. Wow. Yeah. And that's the most wonderful feeling to be able to work myself out of a job. Yeah. You've done the work and you don't need me anymore. That's awesome, <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you so much for being with us today,
1: Krista. This has been incredibly enlightening. We do want people to realize that, as you already mentioned, we do have 24-hour staffing. Um, If you're listening to this podcast and realize that perhaps you want to reach out and change some things in your life, in your life, our 800 number 800-828-2023 and online all the time, dasismi.org. Thank you so much, Krista. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to I'm Not in an Abusive Relationship. If these stories resonate with you and you need help, please visit our website. D-A-S-A-S-M-I dot org. That's DASISMI dot org. Or call our hotline at 800-828-2023. We are here to walk alongside you. Now, if you know someone who might benefit from our show, please share it. Social media, email, simply telling someone about it all help us spread the word and help us to combat domestic and sexual violence. We also welcome financial and volunteer support.